Welcome to For What It's Worth, a podcast from Raymond James, designed to help you plan, invest, and live smarter. Hi, listeners. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lenson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more for what it's worth on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. From stimulus packages to inflation, the great resignation to the tapering of QE, this has certainly not been an uneventful year economically. Here to touch on some of the major developments of the last year and discuss what 2022 may have in store, I'm pleased to be joined by Raymond James Chief Economist, Dr. Scott Brown. Scott, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. Nice to be with you, Paige. Let's start at the top, overall economic growth. How do you describe what we've seen over the last year? Well, I think we started the year expecting uh, you know, growth to be relatively slow. You had a, a, a big wave of, of the um, virus cases uh, at, at the end of, of 2020. And um, you know, we got some surprises. There was a, two congressional elections in Georgia that Democrats swept both of that. So that gave them a majority. Uh, in the Senate, and uh, we had a, a much bigger fiscal stimulus. We were expecting a rollback in fiscal stimulus from from the previous year. Uh, instead, it was was you know pretty strong, uh, and that included you know direct deposits to individuals. It included extended unemployment insurance benefits, and that really helped shore up consumer spending, particularly in the first half of the year. Uh, very strong growth in both first and second quarters. Uh, you know, we had the faster arrival of vaccines. That was all very good news. And then by the third quarter, we started to see maybe not everybody's getting vaccinated. You had this Delta wave, which dampened some of the improvement that we were seeing in, in services. Uh, you have uh, the supply issues with semiconductor shortage in, in reducing motor vehicle output. So that was a negative, but growth still pretty strong. And we expect to end the year, you know, well over 5% in an annual rate, which is pretty good. And then we're making up for lost ground uh, because of the pandemic. So we're recovering and we're not fully recovered yet. In fact, it's not quite clear what a full recovery is going to be because the, the structure of the economy may end up looking different. Some of the things we thought were going to be, uh, you know, temporary in nature look to be more permanent. That is, uh, one of the big things was that consumers couldn't go out to concerts or restaurants or travel or any of that. Uh, you know, so, the, you know, they, they were spending more money on, on goods, particularly durable goods, you know, motor vehicles, uh, sporting equipment, boats, you know, you know motorcycles, you, you name it. Uh, we thought that that demand for durables was going to wane, was going to moderate somewhat, obviously, as the service side of the economy improved. But it's still very strong. And if you, you pull up a graph and you look at, at where we are relative to the previous trend, we're still well above the previous trend in, in terms of, of consumer spending on durables. So uh, I don't think that necessarily go away. That's going to be more more long lasting uh, uh, pattern. And, and that has, has, I think, real implications to, to the inflation story as well. Does that consumer spending, does that reflect overall consumer confidence, even in light of some of the variables that, you know, we're not sure exactly how they're going to play out next year? Is consumer confidence really high right now? Uh, well, it, it's, it's an odd kind of mix because consumers rate their own personal finances generally really good, very, very good by historical standards, yet they rate the overall economy as, as very poor. 
and both parties, you, you know, there's, there's always a huge split depending on who's in the White House. Uh, you know, whatever party controls the White House, the other party has bad consumer confidence numbers. That's just the way it goes. And it flips every time the White House flips. But you're seeing weakness both for Republicans and Democrats and obviously the independents in the middle. Uh, the big issue, I think, with consumer confidence is in, in the inflation outlook. And, and people hate inflation. They really do not like it. And it's uh, typically it's more in your face at the gas pump and at the grocery store. And those, those are like the huge complaints. But you know, you're seeing sort of these supply chain issues where there's pressures that, that have been moving through the system. Home prices have, have really risen rapidly. So uh, I think it's a big concern. But, you know, if consumers have the money, they're going to spend it. Uh, and we were still seeing, you know, pretty good job growth. We expect job growth to be pretty strong through next year. Maybe some limitations uh, because of the demographic issues, the aging, aging of the population and so on. Uh, so, but if they have the money, they're going to spend it. In addition, you had, all, you know, all the stimulus that went out in, in 2021. And a lot of consumers, you know, households bank that. And, and you see this in, in higher checking accounts, higher savings accounts are substantially higher than they were before the pandemic. And so that may provide a little cushion, may add a little bit more to, to spending. But we do expect things to, to moderate, still pretty strong by historical standards, but probably a lot slower than what we had in, in 2021. Let's talk a little bit about inflation, because this has been among investors' main concerns this year. Is it worth the amount of worry and attention that it's getting. It has been a serious concern, obviously, for investors. And we've seen that the outlook uh, really sort of evolve, uh, particularly within the last month. Um, you know, we started with a sort of benign outlook, I think, for most economists uh, in this sort of focused on what we call base effects, where a lot of the prices were depressed during the shutdowns last year or the lockdown of the economy. And so you're seeing a rebound in prices related to that. Uh, you, hit, you know, you've gone through those effects. You've also have restart pressures. Now we see these restart pressures in every economic re recovery. It typically takes supply chains a while to get going, uh, you know, full, full speed again. And in this case, because you still had some pandemic issues around the world, the supply chains are likely to be disrupted for a lot longer than, than usual, maybe more severe than usual. And that really appeared to be the case. Uh, but supply chain issues are gonna take care of themselves. And I think we're already starting to see some improvement you know, in terms of, of the transportation and distribution problems. Still you know, a, a long way to go. And the, these problems are gonna continue into 2022, but probably less than, than we've seen. But the inflation concern now is really beyond these supply chain issues. Uh, all along, we worried that the longer we're, you see these higher inflation numbers, the more likely you are to get an increase in inflation expectations. And it's not necessarily that inflation expectations you know, actually end up being self-fulfilling. It's the fact that you've got a higher inflation mentality. So firms are more likely to raise prices. Workers are more likely to demand higher salaries. Uh, and then you start to see inflation being embedded in, in the system. Now, there are a couple indicators that I watch pretty closely. They're, they're called trim mean inflation measures, sort of an alternative core inflation figure. So you throw out the highest increases, you throw out the lowest increases. And what we see now is these trim mean measures are, are really starting to rise a lot more rapidly. 
Uh, and what that signals is that in comparison to last spring, we, we were seeing higher inflation numbers, but it was very, very narrow. It was concentrated in a few components. What we're seeing now is those, those price hikes are broadening out. You see it in, in these trim mean indicators. You see it in you know, the Fed's fund, the, the Federal Reserve's beige book. It's a summary of anecdotal conditions. They're noting that uh, wage or, or price increases are much, much more uh, widespread now across sectors. That is particularly worrisome for the Fed. And that's an idea, it's the concept of where the, the inflation, again, is, is more likely to be uh, become ingrained in the system, and that may push up uh, inflation over the longer term. So we do anticipate that inflation is going to come down in 22, but it's a big question of where, what it comes down to. Does inflation settle back towards 2%, which is the Fed's long-term goal? Could it be 3% or 4%, which means that the Fed's got a little bit more work to do to get inflation back down? Uh, you know, when you, when you look at wages, certainly that's been a big, big issue uh, in, in the job market. You've had what's called the great resignation where, uh, you know, a lot of people, particularly for lower paying jobs, may have been really kind of reluctant to go back to those old jobs. Uh, you got to a restaurant and there, you know, very few people waiting on tables. The restaurant may end up having to close a couple times a week, those kind of things. Uh, for wage pressures, we don't really see wage pressures as driving inflation so much as reinforcing inflation. So the idea is that you get some sort of price shock and it could be long lasting. And then the consumer price index goes up and wages start to follow. And then firms are more able to pass the higher wages along. And then you've got inflation really embedded in the system. So that's the big, big worry for the Fed. And as such, I think it means that the Fed is, is more likely to be uh, 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 you know, aggressive in, in terms of both tapering the, the monthly pace of asset purchases as well as raising short-term interest rates. What do you think that uh, aggressive stance when it comes to rate increases would look like? How many do you think we could see in 2022? How quickly do you think they might move? Well, you know, you can look at uh, the federal funds futures and uh, those have been sort of marching forward and forward and forward in terms of the, the, the likely point that the Fed is going to be raising rates. More recently, it's been up to about an 80% chance that we'll, we'll see the first increase in, uh, in by June of next year and possibly two or three, obviously, over, over the course of next year. So that is more more aggressive, certainly, than, than we've seen. And if you remember, you know, during the first part of the pandemic, the Fed was telling us it didn't expect to to raise rates really until 2024. And most officials have sort of been pulling in their, their expectations of the liftoff in short term interest rates, you know, uh, you know, quarter by quarter by quarter. And now, uh, you know, we're seeing more Fed officials like looking out uh, at, at higher rate increases. There is some difference of opinion and it's obviously it's gonna be data dependent, uh, but the Fed, you know, the, its job, main job is keeping inflation low. It does have a dual mandate. Uh, you know, stable uh, prices, meaning low inflation, as well as maximum employment. But the belief is that if you focus on the inflation, then you're going to take care of the employment uh, goal as well. So if, if they were to sacrifice, give up higher inflation for, uh, you know, further improvement in, in the, uh, uh, the job market, that's a losing game because inflation goes up and then they've got to work harder to bring it back down and implies that the rest of the economy may slow down more than, than intended. And I think that that could be a big, big concern for investors that, you know, the Fed may eventually end up doing too much and slowing the economy down too much. Uh, 
this is what we call uh, you know uh, soft landings. They're they're uh, pretty difficult to, to achieve. The Fed's trying to raise rates in such a way that the economy is going to slow down to to a more sustainable pace. Uh, and there's always a chance that it doesn't do enough and inflation heats up or, or that it, it does too much and growth slows down too much. Let's turn to the asset repurchases that you mentioned. Uh, unclear exactly what the pace of those reductions are going to be. Um, started at $15 billion per month. But either way, it looks like we'll be brought down to zero uh, mid-year some point in 2022. Does that have a lot of significance? Well, I think it's been clear for some time that uh, we really hadn't needed the uh, the rate of asset purchases that we've been experiencing. You know, very early on during the pandemic, you started to see the treasury market seize up, and the treasury market is the most liquid financial market in the world, and that was pretty disturbing. And so the Fed really kind of pulled out all the stops, and one of the things it did was restart its asset purchase pro- program, and they've been buying. $120 billion in long-term securities, this would be long-term treasuries as well as mortgage-backed securities, uh, to really sort of inject liquidity into the system. And that really helped uh, you know, prevent you know, a major financial crisis developing uh, during the pandemic. Uh, by, for some time now, it's been clear that they don't really need this amount of stimulus going forward. And so they've been worried that uh, you know, if they try to reduce it too fast or move too quickly, the markets might get upset. You know, we saw this uh, back, uh, you know, many years ago with, with what was called the taper tantrum, where the Fed had uh, talked about reducing the asset purchases. And then, you know, the market just assumed that the Fed was going to raise rates. And it had huge repercussions, not just in, in U.S. financial markets, but worldwide, because you had a lot of emerging markets that were tied to the dollar. And so their borrowing costs were, were going up as well. So the Fed's been very, very cautious. Uh, and then at the uh, policy meeting in, in early November, you know, they told us that they were going to begin tapering or reducing the monthly pace of asset purchases. But they, they worded it in kind of an odd way. It wasn't like, you know, this is the plan. We're going to do this. You know, this is what we're going to do in November. We're probably going to do it in December. And then we're going to have to wait and decide. And I think what that tells me, and you can see from the FOMC minutes, is that you know, Fed officials are pretty divided. Some want to, want to really uh, get this down to zero a lot quicker than others. Some Fed officials are probably going to be more worried about inflation than others. And so, uh, you know, I, the speeding up of, of the reduction of asset purchases, I think, uh, uh, it, you know, it's perfectly understandable. I, it, it shouldn't really be that much of a surprise to anybody. The issue then comes is that, you know, this reduction in asset purchases is seen as being the, the, the step before they start raising rates. And uh, very early on, the Fed was talking about these as being entirely separate decisions. They're going to, uh, you know, taper the monthly pace of asset purchases, get that down to zero, and then, you know, raising rates is is a separate decision that they're going to make down the line. Well, the inflation concerns I think have been heating up enough where it's likely that they're they're going to end up raising rates sooner. And they may get me be more aggressive just in terms of talking about it, what we used to call open mouth operations, and that you know the Fed tries to talk you know markets in, into expecting higher. That way they don't they get some of the benefit of raising rates without actually having to raise rates. Uh, and I think you're seeing maybe some evidence that that a, a little bit of that is in place. You're seeing you know the two-year note has increased, so it's anticipating that the Fed's going to be raising rates. And then the long end, the, the 10-year treasury has come down. 
with the expectation that the Fed's going to do what it takes to keep inflation in, under control. And there may be even a risk that the economy slows down more than intended. Let's turn to the fiscal policy side of things. We saw a little bit of debate, uncertainty, worry about the debt ceiling this year. Is that still lingering? Do you think there's really any chance of a default in 2022? Well, the debt ceiling, it, it's really unfortunate. I mean, it's just an entirely political issue. Um, you know, the, the Congress and, and, and the White House is, is, is responsible for, you know, the bills to uh, to spend and tax. And then you get this other rule that says, oh, the government can only borrow a certain amount. And that's the historical artifact. And, you know, we see this time and time again, where one party tries to hold the other party hostage. Uh, and uh, it doesn't really serve any useful purpose other than making political noise about it. We did see a while back, you know, we came pretty close to defaulting on, on, uh, on the debt. Uh, which I think is just really unimaginable uh, um, at this point. And I think, you know, calmer heads should prevail. You know, there's going to be uh, you know, some increase in the debt ceiling. And then when it, it becomes a crisis again, they're likely to push it out. Uh, so it, it's, it's unlikely to boil over to, to the point where we get an actual default. I think, uh, uh, you know, cooler heads should, should prevail. There is a bigger issue, obviously, in terms of the, amount of spending and so on. We've added a lot to uh, the federal debt, the national debt, because of the stimulus, both in 2021 as well as in 2020. Uh, similarly, we added to the debt back during the, the, uh, the global financial crisis. Uh, but, you know, you see the, the, the budget deficit coming back down. And so one of the big things we, we anticipate for next year is that the budget deficit as a percentage of GDP is going to be coming coming back down to what we might consider normal levels. You aren't gonna get the big deposits going out to individuals. You aren't going to get extended unemployment benefits like you did in the past. So this happens really almost in every uh, recession recovery scenario is that you know the tax revenues start to come back and a lot of the, the uh, recession related spending goes away. We do have issues with the, you know, the infrastructure plan, the build back better. Uh, those may end up adding it's a little bit to the debt. I think the uh, the infrastructure plan really has been mostly paid for with taxes. You could go through and, and really uh, crack down on tax cheaters, for example. It's, a, I think, a, one of the strongest ways to, to raise revenues. Uh, but I don't really lose too much sleep about that. Uh, again, I think the implications are really longer term is when the baby boom generation retires, which it is. And uh, you have bigger pressures in, in Social Security and Medicare. And all those things are, are not a surprise. I mean, we knew about those you know, 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, but a lot of the debt that the government has is debt that it owes itself. It's these trust funds people have been paying into Social Security and Medicare. And uh, as the baby boom generation retires, you're going to be tapping into those trust funds. And it means a lot of that debt that the government owes itself right now is going to end up getting turned into marketable debt. So we will necessarily see more government borrowing, I think, um, over the next 10 or 20 years, just related to the, the retirement, the baby boom generation. At the same time, you're not really seeing any huge increase in long-term interest rates. Uh, the government has no problem borrowing at this time. Interest rates are, are low pretty much around the world. So there's no real alternative 
uh, and in fact, uh, you know, the bond yields in Europe are a lot lower than they are in, in the US. So that's putting some downward pressure on, on our yields here. Uh, but even if, if the you know, rates rise, um, you know, a few percentage points, then uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the government's going to have a, a hard time meeting its obligations. Scott, I've got one question to close out with. You've spoken to us in the past about the economic lessons learned that have come out of past recessions and recoveries. At this point, what do you think are the lessons learned from the experience of the past two years? Well, you know, Tolstoy said that, uh, you know, all happy families are alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And the same could be true of, uh, said of, of recessions in that uh, every recession has its own unique characteristics. I mean, the global financial crisis was a, a completely different animal that was a really just, you know, it was the financial system that was really uh, under repair during that. This is a little bit different. You know, you have this real drop because of the pandemic, uh, you know, restart, uh, but not a full restart, not a full recovery because of the pandemic. The pandemic we think is going to be ongoing. Uh, but, you know, you see this effort. One of the, one of the key things, we, you know, we look at at fiscal policy in past recessions is that I can't recall ever a point where we did really enough. Even in the the, you know, the financial crisis, uh, you know, that was a massive stimulus, but it really wasn't enough to help propel the economy into a, a you know, strong recovery. Uh, in this case, we did more than enough. I mean, the, the, the amount of spending that we have, and that's really added to a lot of these concerns. There are a lot of economists saying that we really did too much and that, that demand is added to inflation. Uh, so I think, you know, we're going to learn uh, you know, that, that fiscal policy does work. Uh, I think it may end up being uh, difficult to achieve the next time. I mean, because this is always a, a political uh, political situation to, to get through, to get the fiscal stimulus uh, and to support the economy. Uh, the Fed uh, certainly did a yeoman's job. I think they did just uh, an outstanding job early on in the pandemic, making sure that it didn't morph into you know, full-blown uh, financial crisis. And that wasn't really clear at the time. It looked like it did, things could really have spun out of control with the Fed, Fed shored things up pretty well. So both those two fronts in the policy, I think, uh, gives us a kind of a roadmap for the future. We don't have, hope we have to use these for a while, though. Scott, you've walked us through a lot of the different factors at play. When you put the pieces of this whole picture together, what does this leave investors with as we look to the year ahead? Well, I think you know, investors should be optimistic. I mean, sort of the base case scenario is that we get you know pretty good growth in 2022, continued strength in, in corporate earnings, you know, strong market stock market uh, continuing. Uh, but bear in mind that you know conditions um, can change, and they are very likely to change. The outlook is likely to be shifting around quite a bit. You know, we've got some geopolitical issues to worry about. You might have a natural disaster or two. Uh, you got some some political issues here at, at home, so all those kind of things. Meaning, you know, the 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 underlying ground may may shift quite a bit. So be optimistic, but you know, be prepared, have a plan. Uh, consider having a diversified portfolio. You know, buy fixed income for the fixed income. All those basic truisms, I think, are, are still going to be uh, you know, important over the course of 2022. Raymond James, Chief Economist, Dr. Scott Brown. 
Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through all of this. We really appreciate your perspective. My pleasure. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. You can find more episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time. All opinions and information, including any price references or market forecasts, correspond to the recording date listed in this episode's description. Any performance figures noted do not include fees or charges, which would reduce an investor's returns. The information contained in this podcast is not research, nor does it constitute the provision of any investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or recommendations to the listener. Raymond James and its financial advisors do not provide tax or legal advice, and you should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance is not an indication of future results. There is no assurance any investment strategy will be successful. Investing involves risk, and investors may incur a profit or a loss. Investment products are not deposits, not FDIC-NCUA insured, not insured by any government agency, not bank guaranteed, subject to risk and may lose value. Copyright 2020 Raymond James & Associates Inc. Member New York Stock Exchange, SIPC. Copyright 2020 Raymond James Financial Services Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC. Raymond James & Associates Inc. and Raymond James Financial Services Inc. are affiliates of Raymond James Bank.